Hi, this is Jess Porter. You're listening to The List. I'm speaking today with my good friend, Aaron Steinbach. Aaron, I've known you since I was 26 and you were 20. You were just like, a, you were like a baby, and we met at the Cushy Institute in Western Massachusetts, like doing a deep dive into macrobiotics. Yeah, um, crazy. How did you get there? My mother, who had been involved in you know macrobiotics for a long time prior, um, suggested that maybe I check out the Cushy Institute and spent some time up there doing the, uh, they have a work study program. And so I said, sure, why not? You know, cause I, I didn't really have any other plans at that moment and it sounded fun. And yeah, that's how I got up there. Yeah. The school, if you call it, it is a school, a school of macrobiotics. The students seem to have the, the, the number one thing they walk out of there is with a degree in cooking macrobiotically. Right. Um, I Go guess ahead. you could practice shiatsu. You could do consultations, but I think the number one thing that if you went there and you studied and you stayed there for a while, you went out cooking. So that's how I started my, I guess, cooking career fresh out of the Cushy Institute, cooking for uh, people who wanted to get healthier. Right. But you went on to get a more traditional cooking training as well, right? I did eventually, yeah. And so I always thought, well, if, if I'm going to do that, I should look at a professional school just to get the, uh, the papers and the experience uh, to get my foot in the door of wherever I wanted to go. Because I wanted to go beyond just uh, healing private cooking jobs. I wanted to have fun and create and cook. And I, I love food. I just love all food. I love just eating. I'm a sensualist. I love just all kinds of food. So that's what I wanted to do was just cook and have fun cooking and make people happy. Who do you cook for now? Uh, currently, I cook for I I currently cook for uh, Eddie Murphy and uh, have been for since 2004. Longest job I've ever had. I know that you actually can't go into details on that, but stuck around 17 years. It sounds like a good gig. I mean, it's the best gig ever. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really, really great. It's been a great fit. It's been a wonderful fit, you know. It's been great. And I'm always amazed how long I've been there and how lucky I am and how, you know, it's amazing. Because I always loved that guy. You know, I grew up loving that guy. Mm -hmm. He used to make me laugh, and now I'm cooking for him. So that's been a whole trip, you know. I want to diverge a little. Do you mind if we talk about your dad for a second? No, not at all. Of course. Now, I would say you're one of the youngest people I know whose parent, still living, was in the Holocaust. Right. Do you know anyone else who has a living parent who was in the Holocaust? That's a great question. I don't think I do. Not, not, not that I can think of. I mean, I, I have other Jewish friends, uh, and maybe I don't know the details of their family history, well enough, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm the only one I know in my own life uh, that has a dad who survived the Holocaust. Personally, it's the only, I'm the only guy I know. The impression I get from your dad, and yeah. I've only met him once, but just through how he lives through you and your brother, is that he's somebody who went through something very painful and horrific and traumatic, 
and has come out like a very positive, loving person. Is that true? Is that a, the a accurate statement? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. Uh, I think when you have that kind of experience, I mean, he was he was separated from his family at age three. Uh, when they shipped everyone off to the work camps, he ended up in orphanages. He was in orphanages for like two or three years. Um, and he ended up in a work camp where he witnessed his uncle being murdered by a Nazi soldier. And he had a rough time and he was only, you know, he was, he had this whole experience between the ages of three and seven. Him and his, his mother and, and, and him were, were being trained. To, they were being taken to a, uh, a work camp and the train had stopped and he got off the train to, to look for food, cans of food or something. And then the train started up again and he got separated from his mother. And then he ended up in uh, orphanages after that. And like the details are a little fuzzy because I don't ask him too, too often. And he hasn't, he hasn't documented everything in, uh, on paper. So anyway, he ended up re- reuniting with his mother at age seven. And then, I guess soon after that, after the uh, the Allies uh, won and, and uh, liberated the occupied territories, if you will, he ended up in Israel, growing up the rest of his life in Israel before he moved to the U.S. So, yeah, it's crazy, crazy, uh, crazy times. And, and, yeah, he came to America in his 20s um, to, to uh, find a, a more prosperous life, and he met this beautiful American woman and, and they had a family and uh, he's always been a very, very dedicated father, you know, and, and I can completely understand with the history he's had and, and growing up in the war. I mean, he really valued family and he values his kids like crazy. And so for me, he's always been the best possible dad I could have ever had. I mean, he's just always been there for us and he's just a, a very dedicated father. He's how old now? Oh, he's uh, he's 82. 82. Wow. No. And in yeah. good shape. I mean, doing well, all things considered. Doing really well. He's a uh, he's been dealing with health issues in his older age, but he's been uh, incredibly determined uh, to to find natural solutions to his ailments, and he's he's been very successful. He's had uh, been diagnosed with COPD for over five, six years now, maybe longer. And he's he's pretty much successfully managed it without any drugs or anything like that for for quite a while. He's been pretty good at it. He, he's a very determined person, and uh, I think his experience in the past kind of shaped him to be that person he is now. And yeah, he's just a very um, positive person. Yeah, pr- impressive person, and, and really inspirational for for his family. We really all um, look up to him for his strength and his. Uh, you know, just for things he believes in, he sticks up for what's he, for what he believes in, and and he he runs with that, and and it's it's been successful for him thus far. So, yeah, he's eighty two, and he's very healthy. He's good. He, you look at him, and he's like he's looks looks great for eighty two. Mm-hmm. And he's weird. He has all his weird devices. He has like his, uh, <laughs> his <laughs> he has a, he has a machine that electrocutes. You know, it like sends an electrical pulse into your body, and you can like mm-hmm. there's a dial on it, so you can turn the dial all the way up to ten, whatever that is. I don't even know what voltage ten is, <laughs> but like 
he he bought this thing because he believes it keeps him healthy. You know, he's going to electrocute all the viruses out of his body, and he does it, and he's he is a pretty healthy guy. You know, wow. so he's got all these weird kind of funny. He's got magnets. He puts magnets all over his body at night before he goes to bed that supposedly uh, heal the tissue in that area. You know, he does all kinds of sort of unconventional things that seem to work. I mean, he's an example. You know, he's pretty healthy at 82. Could be, could be a correlation there. But this also there. means you come by this part of you honestly. Because I remember at the Cushy Institute, like you doing weird experiments, like you had, you had brown rice in a little plastic container and you kept it there in your room for like months until it turned black. It was disgusting. And then you would always be like, you'd come down to the cafeteria and be like, I'm on liquid minerals. I've taken liquid minerals. And you would have, you know, taken these liquid minerals and you were all like hyped up on them. And, you know, you've always been a bit of a mad scientist. I mean, between your mom being super healthy health food lady and then now learning about your dad and his self-electrocuting, you make much well, yeah. more sense to me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't, uh, yeah, my mom too was also kind of a nut. Well, not mm-hmm. as much as my dad, but she, yeah. we. I mean, I was bringing seaweed and brown rice to the school lunches in seventh grade, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I got a lot of attention for that. People were like, what in the heck are you eating, you know? And, uh, yeah, unconventional. And this was in New parents. Jersey in, like, the 80s. This is in New Jersey in the 80s, early 90s, yeah. Yeah. So for me to bring brown rice and seaweed, it was, uh, it was interesting to a lot of kids in, my cap- in the cafeteria at the time, you know? In fact, I used to eat my lunch in the bathroom in the beginning before I had established my circle of friends, and I was really sort of shy and I was too embarrassed to eat this food in front of other kids. I would just eat it in the bathroom stall in like five minutes. Wow. Just, just wolf down a bunch of rice balls and, uh, and ginger pickle <laughs> and <laughs> slurped out a miso soup. I don't know what she put in there. And then um, it was cool having, that, having a mother who was uh, uh, open-minded like that and into different things and, you know, and having that affect us in a way. And, yeah. Well, yeah. I think we should do the list. I'm really interested in seeing what comes really? up. So I'll start. Um, I have these paperweights in my living room that are glass paperweights. And so there's five of them. And my mother, who died, it'll be 13 years ago coming up, later in life, like probably in her 60s, she started to collect paperweights and it's like what you know I mean it's just so weird how we continue to change and yeah she got into paperweights because there are some antique paperweights that are really exquisite and quite valuable and she Mm -hmm. was living in England at the time and it was just like a thing so she had I don't know how many let's say she had a dozen or 18 beautiful paperweights and one day my stepfather and my mother got robbed in London and, you know, they took all her jewelry and they probably took the silver and they took almost all her paperweights and probably had no idea that some of them were worth like 
a few thousand pounds a piece, you know, that were antiques. And what I have are five paperweights that are left over that weren't stolen that must have just been, like, stuck somewhere else in the house. And only one of them is, I think, like, a fantastic little work of art. But I have them in my living room on obvious display. I haven't mentioned them to anyone in my life, and no one's asked about them. I don't know if people sit there and think, like, what are you, an old lady? Like, what, what is with these freaking paperweights? Like, why do you even have them? Huh. It must have seemed so weird that I have them. But they're my huh. mom's. And every time I look at them, I think of her. Mm. And I love her and I appreciate her through these paperweights. So I'm so grateful for them. Wow, beautiful. Is it it my turn now? Do I go? Yeah, go for it. Well, that that makes me think of my grandmother who passed away uh, in 2016, and one of the great things about her that I always remembered was her cooking. Um, She had a couple things she made that were like in my childhood memory that, or just burned in there. Her lemon meringue pie was famous, mm-hmm. you know. After she passed away, I, I came into possession of some of her old cooking uh, utensils and I think a cookbook. She had a notebook where she wrote down some of her um, uh, cooking recipes. And the pie, like, to my surprise, was made of, like, you know, it was like a box of jello, um, <laughs> lemon jello, and like pre made, you know. Betty Crocker crust, you know, and uh, it was so good. And and, um, I'm grateful for, and this is, this is working right off of what you said with the paperweights is my grandmother's cooking utensils that are in my kitchen right now. And I use them Mm. and uh, yeah, they're a constant reminder of my grandmother who passed away. And I, I always felt like I never had done enough things with her and spent enough time with her. And, but I always loved her so much. And, and I, it, at the very least, I guess I get to share some of that amazing uh, energy of her cooking with the utensils that are in my kitchen now. And that reminds me of, um, well, it brings me to my grandfather, who I never met on, on my mother's side. Um, he passed away in, in 1968, so... F- five years before I was born. And he was an actor. Um, he did Ooh. a lot of theater in, in Massachusetts. Um, he was really involved. Like The King and I was the play that he did, I guess, the most of in Granby, huh. Massachusetts. I don't know why, but we have a lot of old black and white photos of him dressed up as The King and The King and I. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, and then he, uh, he made it out to Hollywood at some point in his thirties and he actually got a couple parts in some really big movies. Uh, and they were small walk on parts. They, I don't even think they were speaking parts, but you know, he was in, he was in a movie with Jackie Gleason and Paul, I think he was in, I think that was the, uh, what was that pool movie with Jackie Gleason and Paul Newman, the player wasn't oh, the player. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. Uh, I know what you mean. Uh, anyway, you know, that movie, and I think he had a small yeah. walk on part in that. And then another one with Jackie Gleason, and he, his career was, was getting some traction, and, but he had been battling stomach cancer uh, for 10 years at that point, and he passed away around, actually age 47, he passed away, but, um, but right. yeah, I think it, maybe if he hadn't died so young, 
he may have maybe gone on and done some more stuff, you know, impressive stuff, maybe, maybe not. But um, anyway, back to the things, the objects connected to people, I found out that uh, my mother's cousin was, had a portrait, a painted portrait of my grandfather from the 60s that a friend of his had painted in the theater, and um, they were getting rid of it. They wanted to get rid of it, and they asked me if I wanted it. So he sent it to me. He sent me this uh, this old mm. painting of my grandfather from the 60s, and uh, it was cool. I unboxed it with my kids, and it, to be honest with you, it was really cool to see my grandfather. And you know, I, I, I know what he looks like. I have, I have photographs of him, but to have this, this full, you know, this painting of him, which, by the way, wasn't that great. It was done by a friend of his who was, you know, an okay artist. Right. Not like a really talented guy, but, you know, did okay. So the painting isn't that great, but you can, you can really, you know, it's him. It, it looks like my grandfather. Wow. But, it, but after the initial excitement wore off, it started to creep me out. Like I, this Why? old dusty painting from the 60s with this, this, and my grandfather just sort of like, just in this frame, like looking, and I, I sort of like got a little freaked. I put it back in the box, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I feel bad because that's my blood. That's and I want, I wanted my kids to to see him, and and mm-hmm. like this is your great great grandfather, and but it, I don't know, it was all dusty, and the painting is a little off because the artist was kind of sucky, and I was like, this needs to go back <laughs> in the box right now, <laughs> and I'll. Uh, I'll figure it out later. You know, no disrespect, uh, Grandpa, but I will. Uh, we'll, we'll figure this out later. But honestly, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever gonna put that picture up because I don't know. But I am appreciative for that as well. Yeah, I'm grateful yeah. for these. Like, I just have four or five potted herbs in my back yard. I mean, it's not a yard, but like a big deck. And I don't have a great history of growing things. I mean, I. It's not like I have a black thumb, but I just don't have a long and storied history of growing things. So anytime in the last few years that I have grown something, I just take real pleasure in it and like watching the changes from day to day and seeing like how much sun something needs or just becoming sensitive to like this is turning a little yellow or this seems dry or what should we do here and so yeah, I have these herbs in the backyard like cilantro, mint, basil, thyme, parsley, oregano. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. And I go check them out every morning. It's like the first thing I do is go like visit these plants and see how they're doing. I just love watching nature do its thing. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, it's so easy to say it's incredible. It's such a dumb word, but it's it is, uh, though. fascinating. It yeah. Is. Yeah, your turn. Um, geez, I don't know. I I I love having a yard right now, mm. especially because of the whole pandemic. Uh, the past mm-hmm. year, I'm I'm so grateful to have a yard. I I don't want to sound, you know, like ha ha. I have a yard, and maybe someone <laughs> else doesn't. I don't want to sound like that. But if we're talking about what I'm grateful for, oh my god, I'm glad I had a freaking yard in 2020. Mm. You know, mm. God damn, just yeah. a, a space where I could be outside and, and do whatever and, and, you know, not feel any kind of social pressure to, to wear a mask or whatever. 
just mm-hmm. to be able to mm-hmm. be out in my backyard without having to deal with the things you have to deal with nowadays going out in the public uh, because of the situation we're in. So it was, that's one thing I'm appreciating. That's very, I know that's not too special. But, um, no, that, but that's, this, that's that exactly what this list is about. It's like the thing yeah. that no matter how big or small, they turn you on. You know, they make you happy. They yeah. do good things. I'm going to say I'm grateful for my 1990, no, not 90, 2007 Honda, which is now 14 years old, because I paid it off probably 10 years ago. And it's 100, got 195,000 miles on it. I tend to wear clothes until they have holes in them and drive cars until they, like, fall off the road. I mean, I am sort of fantasizing about, like, uh, you know, there, I do imagine a new car somewhere over the horizon because, obviously, it's got to happen. But for now, I'm, like, tripling down on my gratitude for my actual car because I don't have car pride. You know, some people have car uh. pride, like people have pride about what they wear and their hair and whatever, and I'm, you know, unfortunately just don't have that gene. Thanks, Dad. And, and my father listens. Thanks, Dad. Um, but I'm grateful that I don't have car pride because you really have to keep up with the Joneses here in L.A. when it comes to cars, and that would be an expensive pursuit. I'll tell you what I'm really grateful for, and that, you know, it's just the fact that I, I cook for a live, I cook as a career, and I love – and I love cooking so much. Just the fact that I get to do something that I love so much is, I, I mean, it's one of the things I'm most grateful for ever, 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 that I walked mm-hmm. into this thing cooking at a relatively young age and within a short amount of time realized that I loved it and, um, and I was pretty good at it. I was good enough where people liked my food, right? And then having the realization that I'm going to be okay because I, I have a skill. I remember mm-hmm. having that feeling in my 20s when I first started cooking, the feeling that, oh, my God, I can do something good enough to earn me a living. And that was, what mm-hmm. a feeling that was. What a feeling that was to have that sort of realization. It's so fun for me. Like, I, it's so fun to cook. I just... It's one of the most intimate arts there is. I mean, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're creating something that goes into someone's body. I mean, it's the closest to sex, I guess, mm-hmm. as far as an art form is concerned. I mean, right? I mean, it's something that, you know, you're creating something that someone takes inside them. I mean, it's a very uh, personal thing. And, mm-hmm. I, and the fact that I love to do it and I love to and the people that I cook for enjoy my food, is, it's such an honor. And I just, I'm just like, I'm so grateful that I do this and that's my life. I mean, I, you know, it's really amazing. It's the only thing I really do pretty good. <laughs> I well, love that. Yeah. I'm grateful for a book that my sister gave me for Christmas. And like we were saying, we met at the Cooch Institute and really the only training I've ever had in cooking is macrobiotic cooking. And that's looking at food through an energy lens and through food as medicine. And so I know like, oh, this grain is good for the liver and gallbladder or the skin or this stabilizes blood sugar or this, you know, um, food is a diuretic. But 
I don't understand how a classical chef approaches food and the chemistry of how things work. So my sister got me this book called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Oh, yeah. And I'm reading about that. And it's a really interesting book to come to having paid a lot of attention to food for the last 30 years and having been a private chef for people on and off because I have logged some hours in the kitchen, but I didn't understand. I mean, because I don't even cook with eggs, but, you know, how and why an egg is emulsifying, emulsifier, like how a protein denatures or is changed by certain things, how salt works, the different types of salt, and, and how a chef would see it. So I'm loving this book. I'm reading it like a novel. It's so, so, so good. And it's really cool to learn an entire side of cooking that I've never learned. That is, is the doorway most people come through first. Incredible. Um, another thing I'm grateful for is I, I really think I have a good intuition. I think I have a good instinct about things. And as I become more aware of that, that sort of compass inside me, you know, that guides me, and like I said, call it intuition or, or your gut or, or instinct or what I, I feel like that's a big part of how I function in life is through that sense. As I've gotten older, it's, it's become more refined and acute and, uh, and, and my awareness of it has been more clear and my ability to use it has been better because of that. So, and I, mm. and I'm just, I'm grateful that I have that. Whatever that is, I know it's kind of a ambiguous thing, but um, it's very real. Yeah, it's very real for me. Very real, but it's yeah, it's real for me. I have a question, though. Do you, are the paperweights on a bunch of papers? Are they weighting down papers, or are they just sort of sitting there? <laughs> no, they're just sitting there. They're not actually doing so they're just, their job. Okay. <laughs> so they're sitting there, and they're not doing their job. So people might not know exactly what they are. That's true. 